All right. Good evening. All right. So we last week we went um, we talked about um, the resurrection and we are now transitioning into Acts and we're going to be moving through the early church. And and the reason um, for this video, um, the veil and one one of the most powerful moments um, as Christ died was was, yes, there's a huge earthquake, but it was this this huge veil that tore from top. Um, to bottom, and it was just a, a, a symbolizing that there is no longer separation um, between God and man. That that uh, man would have access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we see this early church progress, um, we are going to see not only um, this veil symbolizing. Um, God and man coming together, but we're going to start seeing the separation now of Christianity from Judaism. We're going to start seeing the early church slowly leave the temple, slowly leave um, the tradition, slowly leave the religion and, and head on out. And then ultimately, once the temple and Jerusalem was destroyed, We'll see the church out there all on their own. Um, and so Acts is a powerful book. Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer and then we'll get cranking tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in and around us. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we um, get into Acts and the Acts of the Apostles and, and see what this early church was all about. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray that um, you take away all distractions and that you allow us to focus in on what you would have us learn tonight. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So last night um, there was seasons. How many of the women went to seasons last night? Very good. So I had a feeling we'd have a little lighter attendance tonight because sometimes only one night out a week at church is sort of the um, sort of the maximum. But for those who did go to seasons, I apologize for the image I gave you um, at the beginning. So we have. I was at my desk and I went through my files, and as many of you know, I was um, on Cornerstone staff way back. And so I pulled out one of our church flyers, one of our church mailers, um, from way back in the Hamilton days. And, and here's poor little Abby. Sometimes life hurts. And Abby's about to graduate uh, from high school this year. And inside we see, but we can help. And so, and we see testimony. We see all the opportunities at Cornerstone. I thought this was funny. A little model rendition of the old building, the student center and the children's center. Um, and what that would look like. And when we were in a high school, we looked at that model and went, oh, this is going to be great. And everybody that was on the setup and teardown team was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And, and so we were looking at all these opportunities that were at Cornerstone. And then at Cornerstone, you will experience worship, enjoy, uh, find, and all this kind of stuff. And it gives a little calendar, um, how to find us. And then on the back, it gave us some testimonies of people who go to Cornerstone. And so I thought it was was fun tonight as I was looking at Acts going, what if the early church did a mailer? And so hopefully you got one of these. Um, I was too lazy to fold them for you, so have fun right now. Um, they're on the back table. Fold them in threes. And this is my guess is if the early church actually did a flyer or a mailer, um, which we know they didn't, but if, if they did and they sent it to the, the post office and it went out to all the people in Jerusalem, this might be what it would look like. Um, of course, they, there was no name of the church. They were originally called The Way. And while you're back there, we have another handout as well, so make sure you grab that. 
So the early church might have been called the way. Um, we'll just go with that. I put in, here's what we believe. This is the apostles' message. Um, what we do, so I listed some of the, the um, corporate prayer time, the breaking of bread, when the apostles' message would happen, the gospel message, a little picture of Solomon's colonnade inside the temple. I know they didn't have cameras back then, but just bear with me. Um, testimonies that we find of early people that went to this church, um, who we are, um, the lead pastor, we have the 12 apostles and the elders. And so as we look at this early church, I want you to realize that th- this is a church. This is a blossoming, um, happening, thriving church. And, and it is an explosive church. So as we're looking through Acts, and we're going to go through a lot tonight, we're going to try to cover several chapters in the first part of Acts, we're going to see this church explode. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 1. And on your outline tonight, you'll see just a basic outline of what um, the, the first piece of Acts, basically the Jerusalem um, part of Acts. And so we'll look at this first little section here. And the writer of Acts is Luke. If you take the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, you basically got part one and part two of the same book. Okay, the same author. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem And in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So that's a reflection of the second coming. So let's look at this. Who is Theophilus? Okay, so Luke is writing writing um, this sequel to, to the Gospel of Luke. And, and both times we've heard of this Theophilus. And so who, who is this guy? And there's many different theories. Um, the name Theophilus means lover of God. So some would say that this isn't really written to a man, but it's symbolically written to all those who love God. So, um, and, and so, and that's, that's definitely a possibility. Um, Luke was written to the Gentiles. And so as we look at the Theophilus, 
And we look at the time when Acts was written. As we go through Acts, we'll discover that the, the church will go from Jerusalem, then it will expand to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And we'll see the first part of Acts really concentrate on Jerusalem. And it really concentrates on Peter. But then we see a turn. And we see this man named Saul, who we'll talk about next week. We see this man named Saul, who eventually is named Paul, turn his life over to Christ, and then he goes to the ends of the world and becomes the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. A prolific church planner. And from from basically um, chapter 13 on, we, we see this transition for the rest of the time, and it really concentrates on Paul. Now, if you look in the, the, the little church pamphlet, you'll notice that there were more than just, there were more apostles than just Peter and James and, and John there. I mean, all 11 of Jesus' disciples, plus as we'll get to, um, one extra, they were still there. But the Bible really, and Acts really only focuses in on Paul. Even though Thomas went on world missions, Andrew went on world missions, Bartholomew went on world missions. They scattered all over the place. Some went to India, some went to Ethiopia, some went up to modern day Russia, some went up to Asia Minor, some went over. And so they all went, but we follow Paul. And so as we're looking at Acts, my guess, my best guess is Theophilus is really a person. Most theologians believe he was uh, some kind of Roman official. Some theologians believe, and I think I lean this way, that Theophilus probably had something to do with Paul's trial. And as Luke, a historian, is writing out a history, and a lot of times in antiquity, we'll see that kings and officials will hire historians to write out a history of a certain war. That's how we, we Josephus comes on. Onto the the national um, spotlight. A lot of historians were paid by governments to write histories of battles. Because we didn't have TV, we didn't have internet that got the instant news. So they would write and go catalog. Here's the history of this war. And so Luke, being a companion of Paul, and as Paul's being arrested and Paul's on trial... It's very possible that Luke was writing this out, yes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that Luke was writing out this for Theophilus to give Theophilus a full understanding of what happened from the very beginning. From the time that Jesus came onto the scene, all the way through his death and his resurrection, and then the early church, given a clear um, historical written record of the early church. Again, the book of Acts is the only record we have of the early church. Imagine if Acts didn't exist and you went from the gospel straight into Romans. There, there's a huge gap in there. And so Acts really fills in that gap. So I, I personally believe that um, Theophilus is probably a Roman um, official, and Luke was right to him to give him a clear understanding, whether Theophilus um, had already accepted Christ or whatever, but Theophilus was a man who definitely wanted a full understanding, and Luke went about to present this. Okay, and so then we get to the post-resurrection, and as Jesus is ascending. 
And his first command is, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with the water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit that's going to come down on the church. As Jesus ascends, he leaves with the church the Holy Spirit. And as people turn their life over to Christ, as, as when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we can see in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is deposited in you. And, and it basically justify and it keeps you. So the Holy Spirit comes into our life and, and becomes a deposit of our inheritance. Okay. And so Jesus left us this promise that had been talked about. And so he's telling the church to go and stay in Jerusalem. Don't go. Don't scatter. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. Now, imagine telling people that are giddy and excited. Just Wait. How many have ever been told your children something that was going to happen the next day? Like you're going to Disneyland or you're doing and or maybe it's the night before Christmas and, and they just can't wait for anything. And they just stare at the packages or they they just stare at the car. Even even dogs, even dogs at about two o'clock every day. Both our dogs end up on the couch facing the door because they know our kids are going to walk through the door any moment. And they're just they're just giddy and waiting. And so here's the early church. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They're excited. They're expecting something big. And here Jesus is, I need you to wait. Then they gathered around him and asked him, and this is a big question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, so... Again, we still see, even after the resurrection, even after Jesus had been with them 40 days, there's still a little bit of a misunderstanding between the disciples and what was about to occur. They were still looking for this Messiah to now restore the kingdom, to to get rid of Rome, to unseat the Sanhedrin. Jesus, is now the time? And look at Jesus' painful answer. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive, so he's reiterating, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses... In Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, how many have got, grab your little handout. Can I grab one of the handouts? I forgot to grab one myself. Yeah, thank you. All right. So I have five blanks up here. And I thought, you know what? Here the disciples ask. They're excited, and Jesus says, Wait. And then he drops a bombshell on him. Okay. And how many have been to the, the hospital or the doctor's office and you see the, these um, five smiley faces or frowns? Okay. How many of you know immediately you're not going to answer one of the first three because you're just going to wait there forever? Okay. And so no matter what you have, it's at least moderate five, six, if not getting on to the severe. Okay. 
So I thought it'd be funny to, to test the disciples. So let's look at this, this question here. Okay, so when are you going to come back and restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it's, n- it's not time yet, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes down on you and, win- and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So th- this first line, go ahead and write kingdom. Because this is the first expectation of the disciples. This is the expectation of all believing Jews. This is what they've been waiting for. The Messiah, the Christ. It's now going to be over. Jesus is going to be on the throne. The kingdom's going to be here. No more pain. No more tears. Everything's going to be great. No pain. So right kingdom there. Jesus burst that bubble. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Hmm. That's, that's mild. Could be ignored. It's still Jerusalem. So go ahead and put Jerusalem on that second line. Okay, so we're, we're, we're saying, Jesus, that you're not going to set the kingdom up right now. And now we're going to be witnesses. We're going we're gonna to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, that's not that bad because everybody in Jerusalem or most people in Jerusalem... Saw you walking around, saw everybody else walking around after they were dead, and they saw these evidences, and so this should be okay. Tad bit annoying. But then he goes further. And in all of Judea. Hmm. Okay, so not, not just Jerusalem, but now outside of Jerusalem where people might not know what just happened, and so this can be a little more difficult. And put this in modern context. All right, we're going to have friend day. We're going to have the biggest name in the world. And it's going to be the easiest thing in the world for you to invite. No big deal. Okay, what about you be my witnesses in Chandler? Go to Second Saturday. Okay, it's not that big a deal. We, we can go to Second Saturday. We can tell our neighbors and all that. No big deal. Well, now I, I want you to get outside of Chandler. How about you go... And take this message to Santan and to Scottsdale and eventually to other places around the modern day Judea for us. Well, that, that, honestly, that interferes with some tasks. That can be a little frustrating because I live in Jerusalem and I don't necessarily want to, want to head out to Jerusalem, to Judea. They don't know what happened. And I'm going to be dealing with a lot of the same stuff that we dealt with in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem And that's not really that fun. But then he goes further. And now it's going to start not not so happy. You need to go to Samaria. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know what? That that sort of interferes with my concentration because I don't even look at Samaria. We walk around Samaria. We don't even really believe they exist. And we need to understand Samaria was hated by the Jews. They were the muggles. They were the half-bloods of that time. No one liked them. Um, they were that old Israel that had all the bad kings that ended up getting assimilated into Assyria. And, and we, we really don't like them that much, the ones that stayed in Samaria. And, okay, Judea is okay. I'm not, I'm not really happy about that. But now I'm going to be a witness to Samaria you mean I got to leave Arizona? I got to get out of here? 
I don't want to offend, so I don't know what the, the parallel to Samaria is. <laughs> New Mexico? No, I have no idea. Um, so, but I, I just offended. Um, and so here they are going, okay, I can't wait. Today the kingdom might be restored to, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You got to wait. Kingdom's not going to be restored yet. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses outside of Jerusalem in Judea. And you could just see their smiles. Samaria as well. And then here comes a big one. <laughs> and to the ends of the earth. Say what? That interferes with my basic everything. To the ends of the earth? You mean I have to, to actually leave? I have to go? These people not only don't know Jesus, they don't know about the resurrection. These people don't even know Jerusalem exists. They don't speak my language. They are reprehensible. And so here we go. Our commission as a church... We are to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, after he just dropped the bomb, he was taken up before their very eyes. So here the early church is being prepared for what they're about to do. It's not the end of the story, man, it's the beginning of the story. You thought you were going to retire? Nope. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go to the edges of this earth. It's our commission. We got to go. And it's so much more comfortable to stay in Jerusalem. It's so much more comfortable to stay here and let them come to us. Let's establish the kingdom right here. And let them come to us, just like it was in the old days. Let them come to Solomon and sit and learn. Let them come to us. That's what we want, Jesus. But Jesus is all, no, you're going to start here, but then you got to go. You got to expand. You got to move. You got to disciple. You got to replicate. You got to go. The disciples are being prepared. And then look at verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together consistently in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among them, or among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So stop there. The early church is about 120. So this is basically a church plant. This is a core. In Vision Arizona, I sit on the, the board for Vision Arizona, and Cornerstone's part of Vision Arizona, and we, we try to plant churches in Arizona. Cornerstone was planted 
Mission, a sister church of ours, was a church plant. Rock Point, a sister church, church plant. Sun Valley, a sister church of ours, was a church plant at one time. And most of those core families start out with about 120. And so here we have this early church still buzzing. And then Peter stands up. Now, Peter is the early leader of this church. And said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Thanks, Peter. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language Al-Kadama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let no one um, to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us The whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Let's pause there. Okay, so Judas is gone. He's dead. There's now 11 disciples. And so Peter stands up and said, you know, this is a fulfillment of of prophecy. So we need to replace Judas. And then he lists off some qualifications of the person who needs to replace Judas. And look at these qualifications. Okay. Okay. We need to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Someone who was there at John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Okay, so that's that's a long period of time. That's about three and a half years. So the person that was qualified to replace Judas as one of the twelve, as one of the twelve, needed to be there with them from the time of the baptism all the way until basically this moment. Okay? So that, that reduces the amount of people who could be qualified, but that also lets us know that Jesus cruised around with more than just 12 people. Okay, Jesus had a lot of followers that he walked with, that followed him. Jesus specifically chose 12 to be in leadership, to be, to be basically his students, but there were more people, okay? For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lots fell um, to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Okay, so we see the word apostle. Okay, and so the apostle basically means to be an ambassador, to be a witness. A modern day equivalent of that is missionary. So remember when we talked a ways back about how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news and what that's referring to is an ancient herald, one of those marathon runners. Well, a herald and an apostle pretty much means the same thing. They're going to be witnesses for someone who sends them. So they are official. So an apostle of a king had his authority 
and they were to be his witnesses. So what they said was as if the king was saying it himself. And so that's what the word apostle was understood to be meant at that time. So they needed to choose one other person to fulfill and replace Judas to be part of that twelve. Let's keep going. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost was one of the many festivals that the, the Jews would have celebrated at the time. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Well, that's crazy. So here we have the day of Pentecost. All of a sudden, the, the spirit comes down and all of a sudden the, the, the apostles are speaking in tongues. Now, did you notice how it described what it meant to be speaking in tongues? What did, what did it say? Different what? Languages. So in Jerusalem, as with any festival, Pentecost was no different. There were Jews from all over the world that were there. All of them speaking the different religions of the, or the different languages of the different areas. And as they were there, all of a sudden they started listening and they all started looking at each other going, I understand that guy. And I know he doesn't speak my language. And then what utterly amazed him is when someone else who spoke a different language said, I understand that guy too. And I don't speak his language, nor do I speak yours. Okay, and, and all of a sudden, just, it started going a little crazy. Not to mention the tongues of fire, which would probably freak out any human. Okay? And so here we go. So, and it lists all the areas that they're from. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. There's always one in the crowd that will say that. So imagine that. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Here's the promised Holy Spirit that has come and descended upon the church. This is the official birth of the church. Okay, this is opening day. Okay. The Holy Spirit has come down and they are starting to speak in tongues. Everybody understands what they're saying. What this quite possibly is, is a lifting of the curse of the Tower of Babel. Remember at one time, everybody spoke one language. Everybody understood. And then God came down and confused the languages so no, so they couldn't understand each other. So here we have, as the apostles are, are, are speaking, what seems to be a lifting of that curse to where 
we all understand each other now. We can understand this. And then Peter addresses the crowd. Okay, the first big moment of the church. Remember that the church, the followers of Jesus, have really been hiding. They've been in seclusion. It's time to get public. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. By the way, did you catch verse 18? That's a radical statement. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here we go. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Okay. You are about to hear a message that was preached over and over and over and over again. Okay. The apostolic message. If you look in your church little flyer here, this is the apostles message. Fellow Israelites. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Okay, so you didn't trick God. You You didn't jump out on him. Okay, he willingly gave his life. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also Or will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today. Notice Peter is pointing to a not so empty tomb. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants, part of David's line, on his throne. Seeing that this was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life and catch this. We are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Make sure he points out this next fact. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Okay, and you need to understand that a lot of Jews didn't believe that the Messiah was actually God himself. They, they weren't expecting that necessarily. So Peter brought them together and said, you need to understand your Messiah, your Christ that you've been waiting for is actually the Lord. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostle, other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And here's the last piece of the apostolic message. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all who whom the Lord our God will call with many other words. He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. That's a friend day message right there. Okay, bam. There we go. 120, mega church right there. Okay, and they were cut to the quick. And what Peter did so brilliantly, and the reason why it was so brilliantly and why Peter never did this earlier is because now the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. And so Peter so brilliantly connected the old testament now let's look at this apostolic message he connected the old testament he let people know that jesus was real that he was crucified that he rose and then he called for repentance so many times we tell the gospel but we never call for people to do anything And so Peter called for repentance. And what he did so beautifully is all he did was connect dots. He was surrounded by Jewish people. Okay, This was before the ends of the earth. He was surrounded in Jerusalem by Jewish people. They knew the scriptures. And all he did was take scripture and Jesus connect. Scripture, Jesus connect. And that's all he did. And they were cut to the quick. They said, oh my goodness. Jesus is the Messiah. A lot of times people say, like to separate Christianity from its Jewish foundation. But Christianity started out of Judaism. It was Jews who accepted Christ. And so that day, 3,000, and as we keep going through Acts, you'll see... And the Lord added to their number daily those who believed. 5,000. And boom, and boom, and boom. And the early church is going... And it's growing. And it's growing because of the Holy Spirit. And it's growing because of the message of the Holy Spirit. Which is the gospel. That is what changes lives. The gospel. And then look what started happening within the group of believers. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
Okay, so this hadn't been happening before. All of a sudden, the apostles now were anointed. They were performing signs and miracles. Not to do a magic show, but to validate that they have the authority as an apostle. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see on this middle thing, this church met for prayer. When? Daily. Three times a day. They met in houses. When? Daily. They met in the Solomon's colonnade, the portico, the outer temple where Jesus spoke when he was there. When? Daily. They also met in the temple courts. When? Daily. This church was all in. All in. Their lives were filled with Jesus. Any news of Jesus they wanted. They wanted to tell... You know when you see a great movie and you just can't help but put, or you see you know, on Facebook some like incredible video and you go, I gotta share that. And you share it and, you, and you're just so excited and, you, and someone sees the movie and you just wanna, and you just wanna hear their reaction or, or how about this annoyance? You go to the second time or you go to the first time with someone who invited you and they've already seen the movie and you notice that throughout the movie they're just sort of staring at your reaction to see if you, you sort of uh, agree with them. Well, th- this was the early church. Let me tell you about Jesus. And, and, and as people are coming forward to give their lives to Jesus, people were in the back just going nuts. And this was exciting. And it was powerful. And it was causing a stir in Jerusalem. It hasn't gone out of Jerusalem yet. It hasn't gone out into Judea. However, even though the church was based in Jerusalem, remember who was here for Pentecost and all the festivals? Jews from everywhere. And when the festival was done, those who didn't stay left. And when they got back home, they're like, oh, you got to see this. And they just get so excited. And we'll see as the, as the church starts to move and you get up into like Ephesus and Paul will get there. Hey, let me tell you. Oh, we already heard it. It's awesome. And, and, and so it just exploded. But a lot of those Jews from all over the world stayed. They stayed. Even though they had nothing. And this is where you see, and the believers shared. Why were they sharing? It's not communism. This isn't all the people who lived in Israel going, well, that guy's rich and I'm poor, so let's equate this a little bit. Let's get it a little even here, because we're all Christians, right? That's not what it was. It was all those who left and stayed in Jerusalem because they could not get enough of this message. And they stayed past the festival, and and they had nothing. And so all of a sudden they were invited to den. They were invited to stay. They were given their needs. Needs were being taken care of. And the believers were excited. Let's keep going. And we're moving forward. The Bible doesn't tell how long, how much forward, but chapter three, verse one, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at about three in the afternoon. So again, they... Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going out into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. 
Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said this, said this, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. And check this out. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then Peter goes on. And you'll see the apostolic message all over again. And this happened over and over again. Just like Jesus, the early church, the apostles would look and they would have compassion. Now they didn't set up, you notice Peter and John didn't set up a clinic saying, everybody who's sick, everybody who needs healing, come to me and you'll be healed. Because that's not the purpose of that church. It's not the purpose of church. But when they were out doing their purpose... They would see someone in need and they would show compassion. But then notice what happened. They would show compassion. He was healed. God was attributed, not the church. God was attributed. And then they took that moment to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the church, yes, we've got to show compassion. And I love, I love what Cornerstone does. And when we came back to Cornerstone and I, I, I stepped in and started doing missions and I started um, asking, okay, tell me about Haruma. Tell me about India. Tell me about, about what we're doing. And it blew my mind, the compassion that we're showing and, and that we're doing what we're, what we're supposed to do. But then Lynn said, but we're going to tell them about Jesus. I said, Amen. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's why I love what Har- Harvest India does. They share the gospel everywhere they go. And this is what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what happens when a church is exhibiting a relationship instead of religion. Instead of religion. Several, th- several hundred years in the future... Thomas Aquinas was um, taking a tour of, of a massive cathedral. And the leader of that cathedral, I won't say his name, but the leader of the cathedral basically was just sort of pompous and, and look at this, look at, look at the gold etchings and look at this artwork and, and look, at, look at the floor. And they were just pretty much bragging on how wonderful and how amazing this new cathedral, this new temple, this, this beauty, this this great work of religion. And Thomas Aquinas was just walking and going. And then the guy looked at him sort of pompously and just said, you see, unlike Peter and, and John, we can't say silver and gold we do not have. What an arrogant statement. And then Thomas Aquinas like, boom, came right back at him and said, and neither can you say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the guy sort of sat back. 
That's the difference between religion and relationship. That's the difference between fake and real power. The Holy Spirit is real power. Man-made stuff hurts people. Religion hurts people. Relationships about love. And, and this is what you see in the early church. Love. And so we don't have time to read through this all, but we see this starting to stir in Jerusalem. We start seeing the Sanhedrin, chapter 4. The Sanhedrin get wind of this. And they end up bringing Peter and John in. And through the Holy Spirit, Peter and John, just, they give the gospel. And let's, let, let's look at that real, real quick, because I want you to catch this. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. What they did not do for Jesus. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The number of men grew to about 5,000. This church is about fifteen to 20,000 now. Okay. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. Remember those names. Remember the trials that Jesus went through. Imagine the early church. You're excited. The church is blowing up and everything is happening. And then all of a sudden, reality starts to click in. Uh-oh. I'm standing. Imagine, imagine Peter. I'm standing talking to the same man in the same spot that a couple months ago, my Lord and Savior stood in as he was being condemned to death. Imagine that feeling. What do you think Peter's thinking? Well, I might be on the cross later today. I might be ushered in front of Rome. Verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name, here it goes, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, uh oh, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. Uh Oh, now he's starting to bring in the Old Testament. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no one other than the name or no other name under heaven given to mankind, which we must be saved. And then imagine the silence. (sighs) Imagine the, the high priest and the leaders going, Imagine some of those in the Sanhedrin going, actually using their brain going, Peter's right. It's amazing what happens when you're speaking through the Spirit. And then look, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled 
ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone, notice that, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach At all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. Which is right in God's eyes. To listen to you or to him. Hmm, They're starting to sound like Jesus now. You be the judges. As for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And then we see they were released. The early church is excited. We see another example in verse 32 of the believers sharing their possessions of people selling land and giving it to the church. And we're out of time. Chapter 5. Gets to the crazy story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see the early church is now starting to have some struggles. All of a sudden, sin and mankind and typical stuff starts entering in. And now Peter's got to deal with these people. We see the apostles starting to be persecuted. But we also see the power of God as the apostles are healing people. What a powerful time. Acts is one of the most underread books in the Bible. And I, I can please read it. These first seven and eight chapters of Acts are so powerful to watch what happens when the spirit gets mixed with faith. See, throughout the Old Testament, people had faith. They saw God, they saw his miracles, they had the prophets. But they longed for the day when the Spirit would be part of the equation. And today, we're the exact opposite. The church has the Spirit, the Spirit's indwelled in us. It's the promise, it's our seal. As a Christian, we have the same power that can move mountains, that... that can walk on water that resurrected, that created the universe. The spirit is within us, but we lack what? Faith. For a brief moment in history, we see a church that has faith and spirit at the same time. And when those two connect, and we've said this before, this is peanut butter and chocolate. This is Mentos and Diet Coke. Okay, this is explosive This is heavenly. When spirit and faith get together, like it does here, tens of thousands of people will come to Christ. Just like that. Lives will be changed. 
empires, even some of the greatest empires in the history of the world will be toppled. Because when faith and spirit collide, nothing can stop the power of God. And that's our call as a church to go, to teach, to disciple, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that we find in 1 Corinthians 15. The good news that we see over and over again, the apostles preaching. The apostles who didn't wait for people to come to them, but they went. And when they got persecuted, they praised God. This is the power. This is what's so amazing. This is what separates Christianity from every other belief system. Because Christianity has truth where others do not. Christianity has God, the Holy Spirit, where others do not. And when a church humbles itself, when an individual humbles themselves and allows God to work through them, miracles happen. Lives are changed. Hebrews chapter 11 is an example of people after people after people who humbled themselves. So we don't have time to cover tonight, but next week we're going to hit, actually this Sunday, we're going to catch up and we're going to hit um, Ananias and Sapphira and we'll talk about why so, why so violent, God? (laughs) And we'll walk into um, Stephen as the early church now appoints deacons to start doing tasks. And we see one of these Rise up, Stephen. And if you ever want to see a defense of the faith, read Acts chapter 7. Read Acts, start, read it. It's powerful. And we see Stephen, the church's first martyr. And then from that point on, we see the church scattered. And then somebody gets illuminated within Scripture. Someone who would change the world for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this early church. We thank you for this church who loved you, who had faith and the Spirit, and they moved, and your power flowed through them. We thank you for their love for each other and We thank you that they loved you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they loved their neighbors. And we just thank you for the growth. And we thank you for the scripture. And to be able to look into these verses and see the power. And Heavenly Father, I pray for those here tonight, myself included, that we will realize that we have this power today. That you are still on the throne. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us this faith even just a mustard seed worth of it, to be able to change lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in and throughout this church. We thank you for the ministries going on. We thank you for last night and just what's happening within the women's ministry. We thank you for the singles and the men's and the youth and the children's and everything that's happening within this church. But Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to see things the way you see them and never be satisfied with here, but to remember there is a there and we have to go. 
And we have to tell people about Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Sorry I went just four minutes late, but I'll be up here for questions if you have any specific questions. All right, see you guys next week.